0: Welcome to Talking News. We are delighted to have you with us listening to our presentation by members of the Beach Street Center, Martha, Patty, and Jonathan. We will be reading local news and happenings from the community newspapers. The Restoration Project, Opening Soon by Hope Kelly. The Restoration Project is unique, a nonprofit which will be opening a location in Belmont soon. For 23 years, the program has taught the time honored crafts of furniture finishing and upholstering to adolescents and adults with emotional and neurological challenges. Participants work side by side, skilled craft people to learn and eventually master these handmade trades. It is a slow and demanding model of vocational rehabilitation. Founding and director, Eloise Newell, says the process builds confidence, perseverance, and a set of work skills that are transferable to new situations. The program has helped more than 200 participants return to the world of work, 70% of whom remain employed. I think our greatest success is long-term success, the Acton resident said. This is rehabilitation. We're not teaching people to be hired tomorrow. What you see here is long-term change. Making a real difference in a person's life, not the quick placement. Newell recently moved the project from West Concord to Belmont in order to reach more participants and to provide another model of rehabilitation. A sprawling retail store where clients can learn all aspects of retail operations and prepare for competitive employment in the field. The thrift store, already stocked with items ranging from fine antique furniture and stemware to eye-catching fashion and jewelry, shares the ground floor with a busy restoration workshop. Staff offices, including employment specialists, occupy the... F- occupy the former workroom of Nevmar Taylor, whose owners retired. Another 3,000 square feet of basement storage is filled with furniture awaiting restoration and merchandise awaiting resale. Newell's search for a a suitable space (coughs) stretched for three years until she found 334 Pleasant Street. With multiple bus routes, ample parking, and the potential to raise much-needed revenue through an on-site store, it was a good fit. The Massachusetts Rehabilitation Commission supplies just 20 percent of the operations budget. The program relies on grants and donations for most of its support. The retail store will help to sustain the program. Grants and donations come in sporadically, and bills come in reliably. It's always been a struggle. I think the thrift store will make a difference, she said. I also think it will bring in more community participants. People will want to work in the store donate to the store, and shop in the store. Newell learned the work woodworking from her father and upholstering from her mother, but the re- restoration <coughs> project was an attempt to help her son. As a sophomore in college, he developed schizophrenia, but he had had a really strong work ethic. He had his own painting business in high school, so he was determined if he could just work, he could be fine, she said. She searched for vacational programs, but almost all were linked to physical disabilities. Back then, there really wasn't much for mental illness Recovery wasn't recognized. It happened, but it wasn't recognized, Newell said. Her son's first hospitalization at McLean (coughs) lasted nine months. Newell was teaching college at the time and was struck by the similarities she observed between her students and the patients she came to know through her son. The people I met in the hospital were so much like my students. They were smart. They were nice. They had a wry sense of humor. People with mental illness are different. They needed a program aimed at them, she said. So Newell started one in her Acton home 24 years ago this month. We were incorporated and therefore able to bring people aboard in April 1993, she explains. Her son learned upholstery through the program. He died in 2003. As the program grew, it moved from her home to an old mill, then to a larger space in West Concord, which served them well but offered no possibility of a store. She credits the new location with enabling her to lure a seasoned manager from one of Goodwill's largest retail stores. She will be the first staff member who is not a former participant in the program. The ease of public transportation is also drawing new participants such as a newcomer from Watertown who has been out of work and homebound for the past decade before she learned about the Restoration Project. Newell urged anyone wishing to join the Restoration Project as a client, volunteer, or board member to contact her d- directly at 617 484 1,000. Clients can also be referred through the state or other agencies by school systems or by private pay arrangements. Volunteers are welcome to serve as instructors or fellow learners in finishing and upholstery crafts. Volunteers and donations for the store are also welcome, especially home furnishings in reliable condition. Jonathan?
1: To Be or Not, Members to Debate Sanctuary Town by Ann Reynolds. <clears throat> the debate over whether Belmont should become a sanctuary community won't be coming to a head at annual town meeting after police and the proponent of a citizen petition agreed on compromised language. Belmont Town Meeting Mann, May 1st, was 10, uh, Article 10 was authorized by Ann Mann, a town meeting precinct member for Precinct 4. Mann is also chair of the Belmont Democratic Town Committee, uh, committee but is pushing the article as a private citizen. Mann's article puts Belmont Town Meeting on record supporting several Belmont Police Department policies relating to how the police deal with immigration status of people they detain. However, the article does not change Belmont Police Department policy. The police are remaining neutral on Article 10, said Belmont Assistant Police Chief James McIsaac. in, his, in its final form, Article 10 asked Town Meeting to state its support for s- seven Belmont Police Department policies, not detaining someone solely to investigate their immigration status, not asking someone about their immigration status when they are seeking the Belmont Police Department's help unless it is relevant, not keeping a list of suspected undocumented ing- immigrants in town, not to Im- immigration enforcement officers, um, to powers, and, and cooperating, cooperating with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies, detaining suspected illegal immigrants if federal immigration and customs enforcement, Officers ask if they present an administrative warrant. Investigate hate crimes without regard to victims' immigration status. Proponent, article sends message to children. I wrote it for the children, explained man. Kids should be in school to learn, not to feel threatened. My, my goal is to talk to their parents and all the kids and tell them you are all safe and you don't have to worry. <clears throat> On March 7th, Superintendent John Phelan Sent a letter to parents stating that Belmont Public Schools are operating as always within our school policies and Massachusetts General Law, which continually state a commitment to provide a safe and a safe environment for learning, free from demonstration. Mann said the national election was disrupting the school day, and that that the um, I've lost it. that the counselors and teachers and parents are dealing with something very different. So far, few hate incidents when asked about the environment described by man. Assistant Superintendent Janice Darius said, there haven't been many documented hate uh, incidents uh, to other different events in, in school.
2: Patty? Decisions to be made at town meeting. Future of liquor licenses, signage, CPA projects, and more to be voted on by Joanna Suvalis. Town meeting members have several important decisions to make that will affect Belmont's future at the town annual town meeting, May 1st and special town meeting May 3rd, including the funding of community preservation projects such as a new Pequaset playground, reducing the speed limit to 25 miles per hour in thickly settled areas in Belmont, putting a moratorium on marijuana establishments, changing the Board of Selectmen from three to five members, designating Belmont as a welcoming town, signage and transferability of retail liquor licenses and restaurant liquor licenses. Community Preservation Projects The future of the Grove Street tennis courts, Sherman Gardens, historic preservation of Sons of Italy artifacts, the PQ Playground, and the Grove Street Park walking path lie in the hands of town meeting members who will be asked to approve allocating funds totaling $1,183,325 from the town's community preservation account for these projects. The highest ticket item on the list is $615,000 for a brand-new PQ Playground, including flood mitigation. Next is $336,000 to resurface the Grove Street tennis courts. The third highest request is for $173,200 to fund the assessment and project redevelopment of Sherman Gardens to eliminate the units with steps and make it more user-friendly for its elderly residents. The Sons of Italy is requesting $24,125 to create a mini museum at their Belmont headquarters to preserve and display historical artifacts including historic items such as photos and books. Proponents for Grove Street Park are requesting $35,000 for a construction site plan for a new intergenerational walking path. Signage. According to Planning Board Barbara Fiacco, the zoning bylaw for signs in Belmont has not been updated in 30 years. The subcommittee looked at signed bylaws in 24 countries Comparable communities such as Lexington and Wellesley and identified a number of areas where Belmont's bylaws needed to be updated For instance the current bylaw for window signs allows them to take up About 50% of the storefront window space The new bylaw proposes limiting sign coverage to 20% for both permanent and temporary signs Fiaco said there Also is currently no regulation on awnings and marquees in town, so the bylaw addresses the signs of those awnings and marquees to minimize visual clutter and the extent of logos and lettering on the physical structures and buildings. Speed limits. Article 3 asks Town Meeting to vote on adopting Chapter 90, Section 17C of the Massachusetts General Laws, providing for a uniform speed limit of 25 miles per hour on the streets determined to be thickly settled. According to Belmont Police Chief Richard McLaughlin, lower speeds have been proven to lower injuries to pedestrians, bicyclists, and motorists. Martha? Gas Rationing
0: and the Model T by Roberto X. Cruz. May might be the best month in automotive history. Read about these historic events and decide for yourself. May 21st, 1901. The nation's first speed limit law for motor vehicles was enacted in Connecticut. Speed limits were set at 12 miles per hour in cycles, but on country roads, drivers could really let loose, with motorists allowed to travel up to 15 miles per hour without penalty. May 30, 1911. The inaugural Indianapolis 500 ended in controversy when second-place finisher Ralph Mulford alleged he lapped winner Ray Haroon during a pit stop. The protest was denied, and Haroon, who came out of retirement to race was declared the winner. May 26, 1927. Ford marked the final day of production for its popular Model T with a ceremony at the company's factory in Highland Park, Michigan. Nicknamed the Tin Lizzie, and celebrated for its affordability, more than 15 million models had been built and sold since debuting In 1908, May 15, 1942, 17 East Coast states began rationing gasoline in an attempt to reduce non-essential driving as a way to conserve rubber for the military during World War II. By the end of the year, drivers in all 50 states had to present ration cards at gas stations to buy fuel. May 11, 1947. Ohio's B.F. Goodrich Company announced the development of the tubeless automobile tire. They were marketed as retaining air pressure better and being less prone to blowouts. Jonathan?
1: Robotics team wins uh, competition by Joanne Suvalis. The Belmont Robotics Team, a group of Belmont high school students who work tireless to, tirelessly together to build a robot to compete in two recent competitions, is proof that effort pays off. The team won four awards at the day-long events in Reading, Massachusetts, and Smithfield, Ro- Rhode Island. <coughs> in Reading, they won the Inspiration Award and Rookie Highest Rank Award. <coughs> In Smith, Smithfield, they won first place and won the Rookie All-Stars Award and could get to playoff to be one of the three teams out of 41 to win the district event and move up. According to the team caption, Sefer Sokavanar, this year's rep- rep- competition con- tis- consisted of three main tasks for the robot to complete compete for the accumulation of points, receiving gears from a station across the arena and delivering them to an alliance post, collecting the balls and throwing them into hoppers, climbing a rope for the height of approximately five feet. Our robot was a base which consists of a frame and wheels, essentially a large RC car. We built two custom modules to be mounted on a robot, one for gear delivery and one for climbing the rope, said Sokovana. Unlike other teams that had many resources available, Belmont Robotics team was in short supply, so they made sure their robot could perform some of the tasks very well and reliably. Uh, reliably, reliable, consistent, and robust would be the three adjectives to describe our robot," he said. The Reading competition, March 16th through 18th, Belmont Robotics comp- Robotics com- com- completed in 12 matches and won seven of them out of out of. out of 12, ranking 16th over out of 40 teams. We received the Inspiration Award because of the team's commitment and progress despite our limited financial and other resources. Students raised some money through snow shoveling, working at restaurants, and selling chocolates door-to-door, said Sukhvanar. The the Rhode Island competition took place at Bryant University in, in March 24 through 26. In a match during the finals, Belmont Robotics and their alliance of two other teams set a record of 500 points in a game, which was a new high score at the event across New England and the world at the time, according to Sokovana. The Reading competition, March 16th through 18th, Belmont Robotics competed in 12 matches and won seven of them, ranking 16th overall out of 40 teams. We received the Inspiration Award because the team's commitment and progress, despite our limited financial and other resources, students raised some money through snow-shoveling, working at restaurants and selling chocolates door-to-door, said Sokovanara. The Rhode Island competition took place at Bryant University March 24th to 26th. In a match during the finals, Belmont Robotics and their alliance of two other teams set a record of 500 points in a game, which is a new high score at the event across New England. The world at the uh, uh, across and the world according to time of the time, according to Shilkova and um,
2: Patty? Ill-fated solid waste facility should not shackle future by Roger Colton. Town meetings should act favorably on the pay-as-you-throw article that will be considered in May. The article would allow the Board of Selectmen to consider pay-as-you-throw when Belmont negotiates a new solid waste contract this coming fall, notwithstanding a 1990 override regarding solid waste. Arguments that the 1990 vote created a social contract under which Belmont residents would never need pay for trash collection should be rejected. The tale of the 1990 override actually began years before, when Belmont yielded to pressure placed on Massachusetts communities to join a consortium to incinerate this solid waste. According to a 2001 Harvard Business School analysis, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, Massachusetts officials leaned hard on many communities to join a consortium to incinerate the solid waste. The state wielded heavy sticks, notably the threat to close down existing landfills. Some municipalities resisted this pressure, but almost two dozen, representing 500,000 Massachusetts residents, felt they could not. Belmont was one of 23 communities that joined the Northeast Solid Waste Committee. Things went wrong almost immediately. The biggest problem arose when the state stopped pressuring local governments to close their landfills. Landfills that were expected to close instead continued to operate. Since the Northeast Solid Waste Committee contracted, contract called for a guaranteed annual tonnage to be provided To the incinerator, when large communities such as Lawrence and Lowell decided not to participate, the 23 smaller communities, including Belmont, were required either to provide equivalent substitute tonnage for the trash that had been expected from the large communities or to pay for that tonnage anyway. The adverse impacts on Belmont were extraordinary. The 1985 Warrant Committee Report to Town Meeting noted that the costs of disposal would rise to about $29 a ton from $16 during the current fiscal year. In 1986, the Warrant Committee reported that the costs of collection and hauling would be about $56 a ton. In 1987, the Warrant Committee told Town Meeting that the budget for solid waste was almost 70% above the amount voted. The previous year, the cost increases simply didn't slow down. A subsequent, subs- in, an investigation of Northeast Solid Waste Committee by the Massachusetts Inspector reported in 1997. Northeast Solid Waste Committee communities currently play, pay approximately $95 per ton for waste disposal. Northeast Solid Waste Committee, created a financial crisis for Belmont, a 600% increase in trash collection and disposable costs, from $16 a ton to $95 a ton in just over 10 years. That's from 1985 to 1997. The Inspector General's report noted that rapid increases and the cost of waste disposal meant that other budgetary items necessarily had to get trimmed. Because of this, these budgetary pressures, Belmont swallowed hard and passed a 1990 override devoted to solid waste. This was not based on any commitment that residents would never have to pay for trash collection and disposal, but rather because Belmont was drowning in Northeast Solid Waste Committee debt that threatened the town's schools as well as police, fire, and other community services. The financial debacle associated with the Northeast Solid Waste Committee trash incinerator no longer burdens our community. Today, moving to pay-as-you-throw would not only be environmentally friendly, but would save the town close to $1 million over five years. To allow the Northeast Solid Waste Committee disaster to prevent Belmont from even considering a t- contemporary trash collection and disposal scheme would not would be to allow the Northeast Southwest Committee incinerator to impose continuing environmental and economic harms on Belmont. M- Martha? The Science of Sickness by
0: Christina Elston. Travel means moving. But when we're not moving under our own power, about 30% of us experience motion sickness. Any kind of conveyance makes people sick, said Millard Reschke, chief of neuroscience at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. Reschke has been studying the phenomenon for about 40 years and with good reason. Around 70% of crew members on space missions get sick. Motion sickness occurs because of something called retinal slip, which you can see for yourself. Hold your hand up and move your head back and forth, and you'll see the lines on your palm clearly. Move your hand back and forth instead, and the lines appear blurry. That's what happens when we move in a a car or space shuttle, and that blurring or slipping of the image on the eye's retina confuses the sensory system in the inner ear and makes income, makes some of us sick. Astronauts solve the problem with a powerful injectable drug called SCOPDEX even given at bedtime, because it causes such drowsiness. And within 72 hours, the body adjusts. I know you don't want to hear, look at the horizon and eat crackers, but it helps. For the rest of us, our best bet is to try to limit the body's confusion. What to do about it is stop moving, said Reshki. And if that isn't an option, I know you don't want to hear. Look at the horizon and eat crackers, but it helps, he said. Another possibility might be on the horizon. Reshke has been experimenting for years with glasses that have a strobe light effect to help stabilize images on the retina. On a car trip from Texas to Oklahoma, his wife, who normally can't read in the car without getting sick, wore the glasses. The whole way she was reading, Reshke said. These Those glasses, sadly, are not on the market yet. Despite decades of testing, Reshke says, experts haven't been able to determine why some of us experience motion sickness, while others don't. Genetic testing, he believes, could one day yield an answer and eventually maybe a clue. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking News. Please join us next week.